Hey guys, we are Bad Moms in Business. I'm Bridget Robertson. I'm Amanda Sharp. And I'm Danielle Monahan. Today, we have a very special guest with us that we're so excited. Michelle, welcome, Michelle. How are you? I'm well. That is the nicest introduction I have received in a long time. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm glad I put earrings on for you, Amanda. Oh, my goodness. You're so sweet. You're so sweet. I would love for you to take a couple moments to just kind of give a quick rundown of who you are and what you do, and then we're going to dive into the amazing topic we have at hand today. Okay. Thank you. So um, my name is Michelle, and I am by day a patient advocate for Level 1 Trauma Center. And what that means is I work with patients and families in providing support and empowering them so that they have a voice and that they know their rights and we honor them. And I direct them so that if they have any issues, we kind of tease them out, connect them to where they're supposed to be and make sure that they can um, fly feeling empowered and have the best experience that they can have. Um, I also work with our residents here, our medical residents, on communication skills, uh, difficult conversations, and how to really just build a foundation with their patients. Some things that they don't get in medical school with the didactics is that patient-family communication part of it. So I work with them here, and then um, at night I do have a podcast that's strictly for residents and interns and really anybody in the clinical field that wants to better communicate with their patients. That could be doctors, that could be your receptionist, that could be your accounting, food service, anyone that has any, any communication with patients. I want to make sure that they have resources. So I have some wonderful physicians and clinicians that have come on and just really provided um, looked into their soul and provided resources and strategies and things that worked and advice um, for these residents that was really going to give them a strong foundation to have a great career and be level and build a good relationship with their patients and families. And that's it. <laughs> you know, that's it. That's just, that. <laughs> just, just that. Just <laughs> that. Well, how, how we ended up needing a Michelle in our podcast was we were doing some wonderful recording of our birth stories. Mm-hmm. And during those birth stories, we realized how we might not have received the care that we probably should have. And we didn't know that we could maybe speak up mm-hmm. and advocate for ourselves to have better care or voice our concerns or our thoughts a little bit, well, quite frankly, at all. I think yeah. especially, I mean, I'm a, I am only have an only, Danielle has an only, and Bridget mm-hmm. has two. But for the, you know, Bridget's first birth, I mean, we don't know what we're doing. So we went uh-huh. with what the professionals told us, even if it was a little bit against what we were feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's why we needed you, Michelle. And to give us a good understanding and our listeners a good understanding of what our rights are as a patient so we can advocate for our, not just ourselves, but also our kiddos as well. And I mean, I guess we can throw in our husbands too. (laughs) I I think it's important because sometimes for me anyway, I'm such a people pleaser. It doesn't matter if I know you or not, but if a doctor is looking at me and saying, this is what it is. And I am in the back of my head, like, no, I don't, I don't think that's what it is. I think it might be X, Y, or Z. I just go, 
great. Okay. Thank you so much. And I leave misdiagnosed or undiagnosed and continue to have problems. Same, same, (laughs) same, same people pleaser all the way. I don't want to hurt the doctor's fragile ego. (laughs) And so instead I walk out completely dissatisfied. (laughs) But I think part of it too, is I know that I'm not a medical professional. So the medical professional is giving me the advice. And then again, we've talked about a little bit of imposter syndrome and stuff like that. A little bit of that creeps up. And even though I have a hunch or I have a feeling that what they're telling me is probably not correct. I'm like, but who are you to make these, these claims, like trust the professional. So I think it's kind of both for me. Mm -hmm. Well, the fact of what I'm hearing is that all of you felt that way. Let's start from the, let's start from the the end point and move forward, which is, I've got my pencil and paper. I'm ready. (laughs) Which is one of the reasons why I'd like to work with the residents because none of you should have been feeling that way. The role, yes, we're not doctors. And the clinician, one of the first things um, they need to do is assess the situation, find out what it is that you know, find out what your fears are, what you don't want to know. Now, right now we're talking about birthing, we're talking about mommy, baby. Um, So you probably do want to know everything. But there are some things that you may have read. Listen, when you go in for your first OB checkup, they usually well, I'm dating myself, but they hand you that book, what to expect when you're expecting it. And they're like, okay, Mm. peace out. We'll see you in nine months, come back every month and we'll just see what's going on. But they don't start the conversation with assessing what you know, what your fears are, what your expectations are. And a lot of the time, especially if it's your first, you're getting information from all over, from your family, from your friends, from horror stories. Women love birthing horror stories. However, the new mom doesn't need them. And that's all that we remember. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when you have um, a clinician and sometimes when you do go to the OB, you're, you're seeing every single doctor there because you don't know who's going to deliver and you feel like, Oh, I got to tell the story all over again. It's really their responsibility to start off by saying you're an empowered patient. And the other thing is let's not discount hormones. Okay. You're pregnant. Okay, you have hormones. And it's if now all of you have children, you know that you're going to sometimes walk away from situations when it comes to you, maybe defending yourself. But for that little baby, no, you would die for that baby. And Mm -hmm. it's really hard because parents are like, well, I have me, but then I have this, this life inside of me that I have to protect. Mm -hmm. And it's not even here yet. And you feel like, well, what do I know? That's the doctor. That's their job is to make sure that you feel empowered, that they hear what you're saying. You may be incorrect and that's fine too. But if you are, how about explaining to to you why maybe you feel that way? What are some other possible causes and moving on? Okay. Because at the end of the day, Sometimes when you're pregnant, there's not a lot of diagnostics they may be able to do. There's not a lot of things they may be able to do for you. Mm. So there, you, you may just have to just kind of deal with it. But nobody, as a mom, and I have four, so I've done it four times. Mm. No one ever wants to feel like they have made the wrong decision for their baby and have something happen to that little life inside of them before it comes out. You feel a grave sense of, I need to protect myself and this, and this baby. So 
Um, that's the first thing. It, it pines me that any patient would ever walk out of any facility feeling that way. And listen, patient advocates are really needed in the private sector as well. Um, they have patient liaison, they have people, but we need that. We need someone to go in and, you know, and just say, Bridget, tell me what your biggest fear is. What's your concern? What is your past experience? What are some questions in the back of your mind? Where did this come from? I think that would be a good start. As an advocate, you have the right to know all of this information. We don't realize that if we don't understand a doctor, we have the right to ask them mm. for someone else to explain it to us in a nice way. We don't have to be bitchy. We kind of, it, it's, you know, we can and we do, but we don't have to. Um, and they should really provide someone else to give us that explanation or dig mm-hmm. deeper. So let me ask, are you, um, are you patient facing as well as physician facing then? So if I am having a bad experience with the doctor at a medical facility, do I say, you know, I'd like to see your patient advocate? How, when do you get involved with the, with the patients? Good question. So Thanks. patient advocate is, you, you know, yes, there are private advocates, but m- most advocates are employed by your physician, by your hospital. And what our job is, is to, we don't make a determination. We hear what your concerns are. What are your concerns? You're not being heard. Why? What do you feel? And then we will reach out to the right team. And sometimes what we'll do is we'll tease out your concerns um, and kind of kind of get them to a place where maybe it's more comprehensible for the physician. And then we can get the team on the phone and say, listen, you know, mom feels this way. All right. I know you've explained it 17 times. Not what I'm saying, but this, these are the concerns. So how, what are some factors that we can bring in to maybe have, have them understand it better? Maybe we do need to bring in, not, not anyone on this panel's um, experience, but maybe we do need to bring in um, patient finance. I know that sometimes there are patients that come in, all they're thinking about is how am I going to pay for this? They're not, Absolutely. how am I going to pay for what, what formula, what they're not, they can't focus on what the doctor's saying, daycare, childcare, my job. Some, Mm. some moms come in, you know, they go to the OB in their, in their, you know, 14th, 15th week, and they're put on bed rest. Okay, that's a big oh. deal if they have other children. Yes. So we will try to tease out the real issues. And then we'll go back to the clinical team, bring in other professionals that may be able to help. You know, maybe they do need to have some, which nobody likes to hear this, but we'll bring in psych. It's not a bad thing. You've got lots of hormones going on. Mm. And it's nice for um, someone to hear it's okay. Many times, um, OB, labor and delivery, they're not going to go down that psych road, mm-hmm. but sometimes it, you may need someone to vent and it, you know, that poor husband doesn't need to get the brunt of it. And he doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. You need someone professional to say what you're feeling is normal. And these are, this is what can happen. So to answer your question, we are brought in either by the family and the family says, listen, um, sometimes we have some young moms or some mm-hmm. scared moms or some moms yeah. that feel um, you know, back in the day of retribution, we don't want to call patient relations because, you know, the nurse is going to spit in my food. No. So sometimes the families will call. Sometimes the patients will call. Sometimes the nurse will call. Sometimes the doctors will call and say, Hey, listen, hmm. can you help me? And that's where we like to be. we like to be in that position where everyone is a winner. Your relationship with your clinical team 
is very important and it's important to them. It's important to you. It's important to me and we all need to work together. So I don't really think that answered your question, Bridget, but we were brought in on all ends, wherever there's a hole or a void that mm-hmm. we can help fill food. You know, sometimes people will just not want to eat and they'll mm-hmm. call us. Okay. We're not food, but many times it's not just the ham sandwich that they're mad about. It's the whole, you know, someone didn't come in and take my order. Right. Okay. Okay. So we'll, we'll kind of make you feel heard when you are here in a hospital, you are vulnerable. You feel helpless. You have no control. And sometimes the only thing you have control over is your food. You can't, you can't go walking around. You can't do whatever you want to do. Um, so sometimes, and sometimes if you're on bed rest, because some people don't listen, they're in a bed with an alarm. So you can't even get out of bed. So the only thing you can control is, is your food. And, and so we do try to just try to fill in the, the voids where where it may be. Are are there patient advocates at every hospital or do you have to find the hospital that? Every hospital, and that's another good question. Every hospital should have a patient advocate um, department. Sometimes they're in, um, in with another, another area, but there hasn't been in my personal life and my professional life. I haven't found a hospital that doesn't have some form now, there was a hospital that was a very small hospital that um, had a patient relations department that was a sub-department of quality. That's fine, too, because okay. our job is to make sure that everyone's doing the right thing. But, yeah, every, every hospital has some patient experience, patient relations, patient. If you ask for a patient advocate, they'll know who to get. And so then if I'm just seeing... Let's say I'm not in the hospital. I'm just at my primary care physician's office and I'm having a really hard time getting, getting the answers that I want or feeling like I'm being understood or heard. Do you reach out to the hospital they're affiliated with? And then will that hospital, will that staff step in? Or is this primarily for when you're in a hospital setting? Good question. Um, so if you're a hospital is part of a network and your physicians are part of a group that's affiliated with the hospital. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that app, I know that we do, we will connect with God bless you, outpatient patients to try to just fill that void. We will always do that. And we will therefore reach out to the practice manager of the group. So they will use me and what I will try to do is triage that call and see where the need should be. And if the need is usually goes to that practice manager. So I would tell you to contact the practice manager first, see if they have a patient liaison mm. in there. Um, but if all else fails, you go to the practice manager. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. They should be able to help you. Now there are outside advocates. I'm sure you've seen them or heard about them and we've had limited experience with them. I mean, they're, they're, they do the same thing we do. It's a little bit more difficult. And of course you're, you're going to have to pay for them. So you can get those services in the hospital and you can get those services through other people that don't have that patient experience hat on. Um, I was a practice manager for many years. That was my job is to make sure that I handled all the concerns from patients and families, whether it came to a, a billing issue, um, they didn't like the way the doctor said hello to them, or if they had a valid issue. And 
and that's one thing that we do is we will take the concerns and we will investigate them. And listen, sometimes they're substantiated and what we'll do is we will fix them. We will reach out to where, whatever department and we'll fix it. It's not a problem to say, I'm sorry and fix okay. it. And I never, I, I'm very transparent with the people that call. Um, listen, things can fall through, through cracks and that's not okay, but that's why you call me so that we will fix it and hopefully it will not happen again. So let me ask, I think a lot of the fear of speaking up for ourselves is we don't want to get labeled as that Karen. <laughs> we'll, we'll say. <laughs> I think that's the, the name that's still associated with crabby behavior. And, you know, we don't want to be a complainer, right? Even though sometimes us speaking out isn't a complaint. It's just trying to verbalize what we're feeling or what we're thinking and that it doesn't align with how we're being treated. Not necessarily like Pay, like they could be really great and nice, but that doesn't mean they're listening to our concern. Mm -hmm. So behind the scenes, what does a complaint or somebody who's speaking up for themselves look like? Because I think we all have a fear that it gets labeled as this, when in reality, maybe mm -hmm. it's not the case at all. And it actually doesn't even get viewed like that at all. That's fair. That's a fair question. Um, so hypothetically, I probably do have some of those patients that we have calling. Um, if patients call, and again, if you're here, you're here for a reason. You're in the hospital 98% because you have a problem. Mm -hmm. Or the only happy times you're here are usually either cosmetic surgery or having a baby. <laughs> Otherwise, you're here. You didn't wake up and decide Absolutely. I'm going to hang out with the man to say, I think I'm going to go to the store and then I might just run over to the medical center for a triple bypass. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That doesn't <laughs> usually happen. Yeah. So when people get here, they're afraid and we know that. So, and they're going to be, they're going to be given a lot of information mm -hmm. all at once by a lot of different people, which is really why what I do with the residents are so important setting it up so that when the patient comes in, they have clear expectations of what's going to happen. Okay. Hi, my name is, you know, Dr. Y. Um, you're going to be seeing a lot of people come in here. I might leave. You may not see me again, setting it up so that most of their fears are addressed. So when you call, when you first tell the nurse and you'll discuss your concerns with her, if, they can't fix it bedside or it's just they realize that you just need someone else. They will usually either give you a patient relations phone number or you can ask for it. And then you call us and we will try to understand what you're looking for. You have rights. All the things that you're asking for fall under the patient's rights. And it's my responsibility to make sure that those rights are honored. And my responsibility to make sure that those are explained to you. Now we have a small group of patients just like in life where they just don't get it or they want a certain thing their way or they're used to it someplace else. And we can't always, I always say, you know, we're not Santa Claus. We can't always be the good guy. But I take that off the nursing staff so the nursing staff and the physicians can just provide care to the patients and we'll deal with the patients. But I will tell you that 95% of the time, 
what you originally called to complain about is not the real complaint. It's mm. not that the room's cold. It's not that you don't have a blanket. It's not that your roommate is coughing all night long. It's not that you got a ham sandwich instead of chicken parm. Most of the time, it's deeper than that. It's that you feel unheard. Mm. It's that you're not sure of the care plan. It's that they told you that they're going to do a test and then they never came back or they never came back to say that the test was canceled. So most of the time mm. we have a conversation and it goes deeper and we try to kind of figure out what the situation is. Um, you're not labeled as anything. I, I say it like I would tell my kids, if, if you, if you don't understand something in your patient's call, then that kind of tells me that the doctor's not explaining it the way you understand it. Mm-hmm. And, they need help understanding your step one is they need to assess each patient's medical literacy, right? Okay. Think about, I know that my, my parents, all right, you say the word cancer and right away, that's a death sentence. They shut down. They don't want to hear anymore. Sure. About cancer. I'm done. But now it's, mm-hmm. it's not that way. Cancer is treatable. There's options. You have, you have options. And so these, some of these new clinicians that come in, they're speaking about cancer, just like they're saying, okay, you got sinusitis, you've got cancer. And they don't realize that their patient just shut down on them. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, we try to assess you, what you've done, who you've spoken to. And then we go ahead and we speak to the clinical team and the nurses and see what that communication is. Hey, maybe it's not a good fit. We've had that where it's just not a good fit. No one did anything wrong. It's just not a good fit. Um, And we try to help you on the rare occasion that we do have someone that is just very challenging and we get them just like in life, you get them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty much our job to, we can't change someone's life. So we just um, grit and bear it. We try to take the pressure off the clinical staff and the nursing staff by telling you to call us And most of those times, if you're not going to be happy, we'll just try to talk you through it and just try to make this experience just less traumatic. Mm -hmm. It's very rare we get those Karen people because generally those complaints really aren't what what the bottom line is. It's something Mm -hmm. deeper. It's it's a lot of times something deeper and we've resolved a lot of them or sometimes they're just afraid. Mm -hmm. And when you're afraid, you're going to lash out at somebody and it's the first person you see and it's the doctor. I'm curious, has your complaints per se increased with COVID or decreased? Ooh. Good question. Fire. I might have an opening here for you, Amanda, if you ever want to leave real estate. <laughs> it's different. So the problem, one of the issues with COVID is that we um, hospitals globally have restricted visitation. For a good long time, there was no visitation. Yeah, that was very tough on um, my team and myself. Mm-hmm. I also um, run a program called No One Dies Alone, where mm. I train volunteers to come and sit with families that can't be there with their loved one when they take their last breath or oh, God. can't handle it. We typically cry during this, and I feel like that's gonna <laughs> make me cry. Yeah, the burn, mm, the yeah. burn, the sting. I'm feeling the sting. Okay. Um, we have, we have that. And again, being a trauma hospital, we sometimes have people flown in that we just 
we can't connect. So we will always provide someone that will sit with that person so that they don't have to leave this world alone. I did not know that existed. No, I didn't either. Yeah, so this was brought, um, I forgot the year, by a nurse um, named Margaret who um, I think was in Georgia. And she mm. was on, she was on, on her, on her night shift and a patient had said that they were afraid that they had nobody and they didn't want to die alone. And she said, okay. And she was going about her, her things mm. and she knew she had to get back to that patient. And by the time she got back there, the patient had passed. So oh, God. Um, no. this, program, <laughs> this program is great because we just, um, we bring in mm. the power of presence. Like, you don't have mm-hmm. to know anything. You don't have to do anything. A lot of retired nurses, a lot of my nurses like to do it. Um, anyway, bottom line is we had no visitors allowed, so no volunteers allowed. And I think that was the hardest without um, yeah. without the presence. So we had to do some um, end-of-life experiences through uh, FaceTime. Mm-hmm. And it was just a very difficult time. So our complaints around COVID primarily have been because families can't be with their loved ones. And, you know, you have Mr. and Mrs. Jones, right? They're in their eighties. Yeah. They've never slept apart. Mm. And now she's going to sleep here. He's going to sleep here. Men just get a cock on the brain when their wives are in the hospital. right? Well, yeah, naturally. Yeah. So, I mean, it's heartbreaking. They still say, you know, we haven't ever, slept apart in 52 years oh my gosh that's so, um, um, <laughs> so those are pretty much the, the complaints mm. the concerns now are um because of lack of the ability to visit and the other thing is now we've opened visited globally not just new york globally but it's still restricted so maybe you're going to allow one visitor i mean you maybe want to see your other child or yeah you know or you as the caregiver need a break and Mm. so right now that's been the biggest complaint has been surrounding um visitation Mm. um through COVID so it has been a shift nobody really cared about food and there was a point where they weren't nobody was going in the room to get orders so it was just pretty much you're eating for nourishment don't that's all you get um so now that we're kind of trying to get out of this we are opening up visitation it's getting a little bit better um i so the answer to your question is the complaints around covid have definitely changed um because there's lack of visitation and many patients don't want to advocate for themselves and their families come and no matter how well a nurse does your cares your daughter your son or your husband probably knows how you like your coffee better you know um a lot of times they don't mean to but sometimes food service comes and puts your tray here they don't know that you can't reach it so the, the patient will sit there for hours and not want to be a bother to call the nurse and ask them to open their you ever try to open one of those juice containers in a hospital yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) impossible impossible um so I can't imagine being in my hospital bed week and trying to open it Mm. with an IV stuck in here and I Mm. they don't really think or a straw I mean how do you you got to take the wrapper off and then try to find it's ridiculous so 
we do need some, and you know, some uh, personal aides weren't allowed to come. So those were those were our complaints. But I think we're in a better. I'll make everyone happy now. I think we're in a better area now. Um, we're Good. We have to move it up to visitation. Families are getting to enjoy. The silver lining to this, though, is that prior to COVID, you wanted to go, you know, your loved one was in the hospital, they're tired, they're sick, they're not always an accurate historian, the doctor comes in at, you know, 5am to do rounds. Mm. And then you call and say, you know, hey, dad, what the doctor saying? He's like, nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, I don't know. And then to get the doctor to call you back, he's like, what am I going to call back? Everybody spoke to the patient. We now with COVID are encouraging doctors who are bedside to use um, the iPad to do a FaceTime visit when they're in the room or I, I encourage my patients to pick up that phone when the doctor comes in mm. and have a conference call and say, you know, husband or daughter, Dr. Jones is here. Let's have a conversation. So th that's the only silver lining that I think um, has come out of this is that increased proactive use of digital technology which has really included the families in this patient-centered care model so we have less questions mm. I enjoy that because while that was great for COVID as well I think a lot of times there's family who lives out of state who can't necessarily be with their loved one while mm. they're in the hospital so this opened up that conversation to do this even beyond COVID when COVID goes away that absolutely all family members, the doctors and everyone will be a little bit more open to that idea because that's what a wonderful thing and a wonderful gift because it's yeah. it's hard to retain all that information, especially when you're tired and you don't feel well. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting too because ah, I'm losing my microphone. Don't lose it. <laughs> um <laughs> it's an interesting concept too, because when my dad um, was in the hospital, which was very often before he died, he was hard of hearing. And so they had the little HOH written on the whiteboard, but just because they were screaming at him doesn't mean that he yeah. understood what they were yeah. saying. Um, and so many times I would go to visit and I would say, you know, what did the doctor say? And he's like, well, I think that something's happening this after, like he just, he didn't retain any of that because mm -hmm. He was trying so hard to hear them that like what he was supposed to be retaining was just gone. So the thought that one of us could have been on the phone with him or FaceTime with him, yes. understanding what was being relayed and then relay it our way for him. That's, um, hmm, I think that's awesome. I think that's great. And something yeah. I never would have thought of. Yeah. And there was a lot of pushback, but now, like you said, it's, it's more, it's common and it's, mm -hmm. it's wonderful to see. So I have another question for you. Do you train the doctors or teach the doctors how to have those end of life conversations with patients, mm -hmm. how to, to give them that information that listen, you do have cancer and we've done all that we can. Mm -hmm. And this is it. Do you, do you help them with their bedside manner with those types of conversations? So if a physician ever heard you say that, they would kill me. So you know, we never <laughs> train a doctor or teach a doctor. Oh, I'm so sorry. Again, those, those egos, those fragile egos. Mm -hmm. well, um, I've worked with a brilliant woman who um, I'm going to get on to be my co-host for a show. 
and we work together in having conversations with residents on difficult conversations mm. and end of life conversations. And I participate in that, those a lot because I am on the palliative care team here, mm. Mm. A multidisciplinary team. So I am part of that where we will, the palliative team will go and discuss with the family and the patient goals of care. And we will, um, yeah, so we have what we call lunch and learns. Mm-hmm. And I know we're teaching or training. Yeah, lunch and learns. Where what I'm lucky enough to do is I bring in cases that we've done and we discuss it with the physicians and the clinical team, the residents and the, and the medical students on these difficult conversations. Just like I said to you, assessing. First, let's go over what they know, who wants to be there, Um Many times we'll have a matriarch or patriarch of the family come in who was diagnosed with something a while ago. His, his or her job was to take care of the family and be stoic. So he never or she never shared their illness with the family. And then it got to the point where they are now at the end of their road and they show up here and it's too late. Mm. And as physicians, they've seen this patient all along and they're like, well, Mr. Jones, we've discussed this and, you know, there are no more treatment options. So tell me a little bit how you would like to spend your last days, what is important to you. And long story short, sometimes they'll come in and within two days, they have just decompensated to the point where they can't describe it. And now their family's calling mad because they're like, my mother, my father wasn't, wasn't sick. They walked into your hospital and they're leaving here in a casket. So we also have to be sensitive to these difficult conversations with families that were not privy to it. Mm-hmm. Um, conversations with families where you as the patient mom says, I've lived two things. Number one, plug me into anything you can just keep me alive. Or you have mom saying, or dad saying, I've lived a good life. I don't want to live hooked up to machines, Mm -hmm. but sometimes the family has a different thought. And now the patient who's sick and fragile doesn't want to have this whole argument with their family who wants what they want. So it's important. Yes. To have these conversations with Mm -hmm. the residents and the interns and to discuss with them difficult conversations and, setting it up who wants to be there you know unfortunately sometimes we have moms we have dads that are very young and do have terminal illnesses so as a team the nurses will get child life to come in and they'll do they'll do handprints for mom they'll there's a lot of pre-planning so that these conversations can happen and some of the questions that's important for the clinician to ask is what do you want to know you mm-hmm. tell me what is it that you want to know because if that's not established, you're talking to a wall. I, I need, I, I don't need to have a doctor telling you things that you're not ready to hear. You may not know you're not ready to hear them. So that, and that's one of the reasons for this podcast is to just make it natural. It doesn't always have to be the end of life conversations. I want you to be able to assess your patient with their family at the beginning. How much do you want to know about anything? Um, I'm trying to get this wonderful man who is head of negotiations to come in because and talk on my on my show because listen you got to have buy-in from your patient 
if I say to you, you know, you have high blood pressure and you need to cut out salt, bacon, and cheese, you're going to tell me, you know, hit the road if you don't want to, but I need your buy-in. I feel like you're speaking to me. (laughs) (laughs) I would need to have you to buy in. Okay. If you told me right now, as I sit here today, that I would never be able to eat bacon again, I would look at you in the eye and say, disconnect me because I don't want to live. I can. And that's how I feel. So um, the answer to your question is we do. Um, as far as the doctors, you know, the senior doctors and stuff, we, we go to the meeting with them as a multidisciplinary approach. And we try to guide the conversation as a family meeting so that um, hopefully maybe they'll learn or we can learn from them, but it's a, it's a collaborative effort and we try to kind of just guide the conversation and read the patients, read the doctors. So, um, that at the end of the day, everyone gets what they want and you, it's respect, you know, we have to have respect and I respect, um, all of our clinicians here. And I want to say that we have the same respect. It's mutual. So if I say, I think we need to stop right here, mm-hmm. they're going to listen to that cue. Okay. We can continue this tomorrow. We can continue this later. You have no problem stopping a meeting saying, are you okay that we continue? Mm-hmm. And I want to know that you're okay that we continue because what you're going to hear is something that you're never going to forget. Mm-hmm. And maybe you want to say, you know what? I think I may want my family here. with mm. me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that ahead of time. Um, let's let you digest this now and maybe we'll come back and revisit it. Maybe you need to understand what the terms are. DNR, mm. DNI. Withdrawal. Yeah. Maybe you need to understand and I need to get a clear assessment that you know what those terms are. We don't use the term pull the plug. Right. Yeah. Oh, we're afraid of that. We don't use that term. Um, but if I'm going to substitute that term with comfort care, nobody knows what the hell that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to be comfortable. And so mm. we change terms without with assuming that people understand what that means. You know, many people, when you say, I'm going to provide your mother or father with comfort care, they're like, well, I would expect you to. No, we don't mean we're going to give her a warm blanket. This is what it means. So we work with the clinical staff and the doctors to make sure that these conversations happen in the best of circumstances. Trust me, there are times it doesn't. Yeah. Times it doesn't. And we deal with that. But on, if you have a good relationship with your nurses and your advocates and you know that we all work together, trust me, I'll pull a meeting together with all the right people and make sure that these conversations happen in a way that it's we honor what you want and I want to know what you want. And sometimes we'll have to meet with you separately. If you're don't want to hear the backlash from your family, we've had families that have said to the doctors, I don't want to be in the same room when you tell my family that oh. this is end of life situation. Thanks. Mm. to honor that. So mm. I don't know if that answered your question. It did. I, I so appreciate it. And again, my, my dad was sick before he died and had palliative care. And 
I can remember being told that he was going into that care. And I was like, well, what does that mean? Like, is that hospice? Does that mean he's going to die in a week? Does that mean he's going to die in six months? And Mm. I had so many questions about what that meant. But at the end of the day, it was such a beautiful program for him to be involved in. And he was kept so comfortable and um, it's just a beautiful line of work that you're in. And I'm just so appreciative of you and everyone who finds that that is what they want to go into. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it's, I'm sure not an easy job, right. obviously. <laughs> I think it takes a special type of person to be able to withstand what you do. So yeah, thank you for, for what you do. So you, oh, go ahead. Amanda. I was just going to say, do you ever get to speak to the happy patients? Like, is there, or is it always like yes. a source of negative? No, actually, um, we do get some happy patients. So luckily they divert all the complaints to us, but also when somebody wants to compliment um, oh. a staff member. So that's great. And a lot of, and I will tell you um, a lot of times people will call to complain and then highlight. So if your complaint is on the process and the protocol, um, let's say you want to just let us know, listen, I don't feel that you have enough staff. I, they'll make it a point to say, your nursing is great. Your sure. is great, but this mm-hmm. is the overall process. But we do get people that are, that will call and be like, I had the great experience, the best experience with uh, this nurse. So loving and so kind. And I love that. Um, so we don't, we don't get them a lot, but when we can truly, I want to make sure that your stay in the hospital, if it's not for those two things I said is not to be traumatic. Okay. I want, you're never going to have a great experience. Okay. We're not going yeah. to Well, hospital. Mm -hmm. My hope is that you do not have a traumatic experience Mm -hmm. and that you feel safe. If those two things, then I'm good. And I think a lot of women walk away from their birth feeling as if it was traumatic. Agreed. And we want to make them aware of their rights. So that's not the case because I think just all too often when I'm speaking with other women, when we're all speaking with other women, that's exactly how they, and they go, I do it all over again. Well, of course we would, because we want, we want our baby, but that doesn't mean that the experience can't be better and more in line with what we want for our bodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And, and what I hear from my moms um, to be that call from, you know, the unit or, or even sometimes that patient, they can't, you know, they can't get, Mm-hmm. They have issue. Um, many times they don't feel heard. That their physicians are saying, "No, no, no, this is normal," or "This is this right. is what I want you to do." And they're like, "But I don't feel it's normal." And right. they're looking at you, especially first-time moms, and saying, "Yep, you've never done this before." Okay, mm. I've done this, and and they say, "I've delivered five thousand babies. <laughs> I can't deliver my baby." Right. 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 I'm concerned. And the minute that credibility goes out the window with that provider, you're done. No matter what they say, you're still going to be like, hmm, mm. I'm not sure. How many times have you ever left your visit from your OB and go home and said, here's a big one. I know personally I've done it. I was like, baby had a quiet spat, right? Mm-hmm. And then mom, I can't see the baby. I'm thinking, oh my God, what if it's suffocating? What if I pushed on? I, I, I hit something. I fell. Would I, I want to hear the heartbeat. I didn't hear the heartbeat. And the doctor's like, no, no, everything's fine. And you're like, but you, I don't feel that you checked. I know you don't have a magic wand that you can see mm-hmm. inside, but did, 
you didn't make me feel 100% that I'm going to go home and everything I said to you was fine. Yep. And a lot of times I hear that happen and mothers will just, the doctors will feel like, huh, I said you were fine. Okay, I'll see you next month. And, or you call and the OB can't hand, you know, your GYN can't handle if you have anything other than pregnancy. Let's say you call with a cold or you call with a, they don't want to hear it any other specialty doesn't want to touch you because you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. So you kind of feel like you've got, instead of this wonderful, magical time of someone growing inside of you that you've got leprosy Yeah, because yeah. they don't want to touch you. They don't want to be accountable that no, no, they don't want to touch you. So I think that starts it off by making moms feel discounted, not heard and quite frankly, crazy. Yeah. You know, and, and I think too, especially if you are someone like myself who sees a male OBGYN and he might tell you, I've delivered 5,000 babies. Sure. But you've never been pregnant and you have never felt what I'm feeling and you don't know what it feels like personally. And I love my OBGYN. I'm, I'm, I have no complaints, but I know so many women who, who see a male doctor mm-hmm. and go in specifically for something with their breasts or their ovaries or, you know, whatever. And then it's like, he doesn't even know what I like the pain that I'm experiencing or this feeling that I'm having. He can't even relate to that. So how can he diagnose it correctly? Um, which is I'm sure difficult for the, the physician himself as well, you know, to feel that way because a lot of them probably do. I don't know. I just think as women that it's hard to advocate for yourself. Um, I agree. Especially and- with male doctors. <laughs> And we've had instances where just even observing where a, a clinician will say, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And if the mom feels differently or can't, they feel like the physician is judging them. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you don't care about your baby then. You just kind of want to do what you want to do. So right. there's also that stigma of saying, of feeling that, they're being judged and they're not a good mom to be because they have, you know, a different feeling or listen, I don't know how many people, maybe some can just with their child um, poof bed rest for the next 27 weeks of your pregnancy. That takes a lot to process and there should be some assistance, some, some alternatives, some options. And if you go against what your OB says right away, you feel this incredible sense of guilt that absolutely ever happens. If I breathe and something happens, I caused it. Mm -hmm. So if it's you and I said, Amanda can't have salted your blood pressure go up. It's okay if you want to play that roulette game because it's you and you know, you're not going to die. But if I say, you know, Amanda, you don't want to have salt because you, know, you have high blood pressure in the baby. Done. You're done. Done. You're done. And, yeah. and, but is no baking really, okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that really fair? Because we're telling you something to do that and giving, setting you up for failure or setting you up to not feel like mm-hmm. you are making a good choice. So you're not empowered. Mm-hmm. You feel guilty and you haven't even given birth yet and your hormones haven't kicked in yet. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> Oh my goodness. You guys, we've already been chatting for this long. Like, (laughs) like how is that possible? (laughs) A lot to talk about. We can talk for hours and hours and hours about this, but to respect our listeners. (laughs) Right. And and Michelle. (laughs) And Michelle and yourself. Yes. Yes. 
if they wanted to, because I just feel like this could just go on for days. How can any of our amazing community reach out to you if they have questions, whether for themselves or their loved ones? What is the best way to reach out to you? Um, they can. I have a website. It's very long, so I've given it to you on your show notes. So real yes, quick, it'll be in our show notes. <laughs> Listen to this funny story. So I like the I like you know the way words sound together. So I created this podcast and I called it Compassionate Communication because I'm like that really works well. I love it. CC right it has mm-hmm. this logo made. And then, long story short, I had a I went on the website to get it to get a domain and that was taken. I'm like, that's too mm. Who wants that? So I had to get healthcare communication solutions. Okay, not really wanted. But then as people were in the field, um, they were thinking compassionate. You always use that word compassionate for death, right? So mm. they thought my podcast was about death. I'm like, no, no. It's living people. So I'm kind of glad I changed it. So the website is very long. It's um, www.healthcarecommunicationsolutions.com and you can email me or you can um, Instagram me which is probably a little bit easier and I will provide any kind of assistance or direction or resources um, that I can any anytime never never hesitate you can always ask me any questions I love that. And we're, we're going to have all of those locations in our description as well. So if you didn't catch that, no worries. Yes, yes, we have it right um, from Take Michelle through email. So that link will be there. Well, Michelle, final thoughts from you that you would want to convey to our listeners. If you could wrap up this episode in a few words, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Sure. <laughs> I would say trust your gut mm. oh. you are the patient um write down don't don't mm. think i'll remember when i get there because when you walk into a physician's office and he's going to ask your history and physical you may lose sight of the passionate reason why you came in mm. so people always give roll their eyes when i say write down your questions but i really mean it um write them down and then just free write free write why you feel that way because at the end of the day that's what's going to communicate to the doctor your feelings and how important that is Mm. but I would really say trust your gut and it's not and I and I will if the one takeaway that I leave you with it's okay to politely say if you don't get a good feeling or you leave your doctors and you go home and your and your family asks you questions that you can't answer and that doctor didn't bring up and you just get that gut. Don't be afraid to call and ask for your medical records and find another doctor. Mm. It's okay. It's even okay that. to get a second opinion and you, you're transparent and you can say, listen, I've even said it to my doctors for surgery. They, a good doctor will bring it up to me and say, listen, if you want to get a second opinion, that's completely fine. That makes me feel so much better. But don't forget that you have rights as a patient as a mom, as a human, as a dad, and you have the right to ask questions, get them answered, and be heard. But mm-hmm. go with your gut. I love that. And you can see us like writing our notes as you're speaking, right? <laughs> because I feel like I, I feel like for women especially, we have that sense that we do have that gut feeling. But like you said, kind of, you don't have to defend that feeling, but write down why you have that feeling. Cause there's maybe some clues to 
hone in a little bit to how you're feeling. So I love that. I think that might be the perfect title for this episode. I like it. Last thing, go with your gut. The last thing I will say, I wanted to say this. If your facility or hospital, some nursing homes, they don't have a patient advocate. They have, don't ask me to spell it. I can barely see it in Abnabudson. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. So of course, Bridget was like, oh yeah, duh. (laughs) (laughs) Some places will have that in place of um, an advocate. So keep an eye out for that word. And don't ask me to spell it. I will um, have Bridget spell it. It's okay. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the other thing you may, you can ask a hospital, a nursing home, a facility will have one of those two. If it's a state okay. run organization, they probably will have an omnibus and that will do the same thing in, in honoring your rights. Good to know. Danielle, any questions for Michelle before we wrap up this episode? Oh my gosh. I know we could go on and on, but yeah, we did. <laughs> no, I just really wanted to appreciate you coming on here. It was very eye-opening. Um, before you came on, um, well, I, I don't want to say before you came on because I did a little bit of research before you came on, but when Amanda brought, uh, brought this idea to us, I had no idea that this profession even existed. None. Oh. Zero zilch. So well, thank you so thank much you. for enlightening us. Hopefully, um, a lot of us have taken a lot of away from this and learned something because I know I have. Yes. I'm so thankful that you, um, were open-minded. You were like, I never heard of that thing, but all right, we'll have it on. That was I appreciate so it. interesting. It's it so interesting. so fascinating. So interesting, Bridget. Any any final thoughts from you? No, just thank you so much. And um, it's O M B U D S M A N. I love it. Bridget, you're going to be my phone a friend if I ever if I'm yeah. ever. Trust me, I'm writing this down right now. Oh my gosh, that was too good. Too funny, too funny. So any last words from you before we close this down? Oh, I'm so happy that you invited me to be here. I'm very honored and thrilled, and I'm glad I got to meet you and everyone on your podcast because I have taken a listen to it. I was a little nervous. I'm thinking, oh, I can't ever, I can't come, I don't have anything to say. So I'm very, I'm very thrilled to be here. Thank you. You did so great. And you have so much to say. So, so much to say. I'm just so grateful for you saying yes and understanding my vision for, for this particular episode. I mean, as well as Danielle and Bridget. So this was fantastic and we appreciate you coming on and we'll have all of your information so everyone can find you even beyond this episode because (laughs) you play an important role in a lot of people's health. So thank you for that. Well, ladies, our B for the day, is it be trusting your gut? Be trustful of your gut. Be trust. Oh, there we go. Be one with your gut. Be one with with your gut. I like it. Be one with your gut. Perfect. Michelle, thank you so, so much. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Have a nice day, ladies. See everyone next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.